<laughs> we do we do real stretches before I just, we do this. I like that accidentally my exhale was to the jump because I went. Sup, nerds? It's basketball. Welcome to Horse, a basketball podcast about everything except for the wins and losses. My name is Mike Schubert, and I am joined, as always, by my trusted co-host, the being grumpy about LeBron being a good dad to Jason Whitlock. It's Eric Silver. Eric, how's it going? I am fundamental to this podcast, and no one would know what it was like without it. Just like Jason Whitlock making terrible takes about people's children. Uh, There's a guy named Jason Whitlock that tried to take a stance that LeBron being a cool dad at his AAU games is bad somehow. When it's not bad because imagine being literally anyone else there lebron is there he's doing a service if all dads were lebron we would not have this problem no. but he's just much objectively cooler i like the part where jason whitlock is like lebron's trying to make fatherhood cool it's like yeah where's the problem jason whitlock <laughs> this is amazing anyway on to happier things supporting your kids sucks <laughs> horse hoops before we get on to Full Court Press, we got to take a little bit of a break to get ready, get all jazzed up, get some stretches in, and that's where we head to the Teal Memorial Locker Room. No, she's still alive. Don't worry. I don't want to pull a hammy. That's why I got I to gotta stretch. Everyone, breathe in. The jump out. The jump. So, Eric... Do we have new friends helping us out being a, a basketball podcast? We do. Just like LeBron in the stands. Nice. These patrons are supporting us. Welcome to the team, Michelle Strait and Siobhan Ellsbury, who joins the producer level patrons, Brianne Wingate, Berger, Skylar Jorgensen, Gladiator Vader, Adam Hartwick, Ross Papa, Akano, Cody Powell, Salvador Testa, Trust the Process, James Harden, went to Arizona State, Hufflepuff Hillary, Samantha Rose, Catherine Lee, and Polly Burridge. You amused us while there was nothing interesting happening in sports, and we appreciate your company because we didn't have anything to watch. Well, we did have something to watch, and I'll talk about it in a full-court press, but before we do that... Get it like the news? I that I say that later. Who's sponsoring us this week, Eric? Oh, sponsor this week is Shaker and Spoon. Shaker and Spoon? Are you telling me that they can help me get fancy drunk so that I can pass the time while there's no NBA basketball on in the summer? That's exactly what I'm telling you. Oh, that's very good. If you have, want to have a summertime party because you have to interact with friends instead of watching basketball and there's not a WNBA game on and no one's playing pickup because it's too hot outside and we're all melting on the east coast you could have a fancy party and Shaker and Spoon can help you with that Shaker and Spoon is great they will send you a box for four servings of different ingredients for three separate drinks that all use the same alcohol all you need to do is provide that bottle of liquor they send you all the mix-ins and stuff and some of it's like very intricate fancy syrups and Eric's favorite thing a nutmeg which is just a nut it's just a nut. There's so many different fun things that they send, and you can look very fancy. And it's hot. It's the summer. You don't want to hang out outside, and you don't want to go to bars because they're super crowded and people are also hot. You just want to have a nice little party inside with some of your friends, make some fancy drinks look very impressive when you didn't actually do anything except buy alcohol. So if you want to save $20 on your first box of fancy things from Shaker and Spoon, you just need to head on over to shakerandspoon.com horse, and you'll save 20 bucks. It's already a good deal, and now you're saving $20. Shakerandspoon.com slash horse. Get fancy drink while you try to get through the NBA summer today. Yay! <laughs> and if you hadn't heard before, the multi-crew is now happening. <laughs> We've been growing so much, and thank you to everyone who has joined. If you want to get on that head-hard-gut train, we've released... 
for all four episodes of the Pokemon Starters Generation 1 battle. Uh, Mike and I, alongside Julia, duked it out, and Brandon definitely had some bias on whatever he was That is complete about. bullshit. Mike just put together the best argument. I, I mean, I really this. listened to it. Brandon had a lot of bias. Um, yeah, but also, I had the best argument, and I won. So if you want to see me destroy these other two nerds, uh, go check uh, it well, out. Well, that's not exactly what happened. It is. And now we move on to Full Court Press. Get it? Like the news? You go, to multi- go to multicrew.com. <laughs> Go to multicrew.club to sign up for a new RSS feed for this exclusive show, exclusive live show audio that we're going to put up from our uh, show at the Bell House, uh, pilots that we've been cooking on, and that is just for $10 a month, and we have two levels above that. Check it out, multicrew.club. Mm-hmm. Now we actually move on to Full Core Press. Get it? Like the news? Yes. So it is the offseason, and it's the bad part of the NBA offseason where Summer League is over. August is a tough month. Around the NBA circles, there's not much going on. But the WNBA is going on. Most recently, the WNBA All-Star Weekend happened, and it was fantastic. And I just wanted to recap some of the wonderful moments from that weekend. Please tell me about it. So much like the NBA All-Star Weekend, the WNBA All-Star Weekend has the events before the game itself. So you've got the skills competition as well as the three-point contest. There is sadly no dunk contest. But then there is the WNBA All-Star Game itself the day after. So the day before started with the skills challenge. It makes me very sad that the WNBA ones is not sponsored by Taco Bell like it is in the NBA. (laughs) Just because skills challenge is already kind of a funky name, but to call it the Taco Bell skills challenge just really drives it home and i'm hoping they buy the naming rights for the WNBA's next year i just had an idea i really wanted captain crunch to sponsor it because mm. i had an idea that it was just like crunchitize me captain skills challenge it would be very good you could also do like oops all buckets and then <laughs> oops all assists <laughs> so in the skills challenge players start with a ball at half court they have to dribble through some cones pass it through a ring get a ball dribble down to the other side make a layup dribble all the way back and make a three-pointer it's head to head so whoever completes this first moves on to the next round In the first round, the four people that moved on all had perfect run-throughs, meaning that they didn't mess up any of the dribbles. They passed it through the hoop the first time and made the layup and made the three-pointers all on their first attempts. It was very impressive to watch. But of those first-round perfect performances, the best goes to Jonquel Jones. So she did the dribble part. She did the passing part, but then forgot about having to do the layup on the other side, so she went to where you shoot the threes, and then people are waving their hands wildly, telling her, like, no, Jonquel, you have to grab a ball and do a layup. So she was way delayed grabs the ball, dribbles as fast as she can, makes the layup, comes back, and while she does it, her opponent is already shooting the threes and is on the second attempt. So she launches one from a couple steps behind the three-point line, not even in her little designated area, but shoots it from behind a cameraman and swishes it and moves on to the next round. The more contests that are like the half-court challenge, where Mm -hmm. you just pull someone out of the crowd, but it's just like high high level of difficulty, that's the best. I like how it's a carnival game where it's like a five-year-old's like, no, go back, go back, go back. <laughs> so then the finals was between Diamond DeShields and Courtney Vandersloot, which, yes, that is a last name. And, yes, I did feel uncomfortable when one of the announcers, a WNBA player, kept calling her Sloot over and over again. <laughs> I'm sure that everyone finds that funny in the it, locker room. It was very much, you can call her this. I will <laughs> respectfully watch and call her Courtney Vandersloot. That's her name is Courtney. <laughs> I, that is what Go I'm going to Courtney re- Vandersloot. <laughs> Number 12, Courtney. Yeah. <laughs> so she and Diamond were duking it out. 
Diamond kept messing up the passes, though. And after you fail three passes in a row, you get to just do the layup. So Diamond messed up the first pass. She messed up the second pass. For the third pass, she just grabbed it and threw it and then ran the other direction, which is a very smart strategy because it would not make a difference if she made it or not. So she, again, was very far behind. But while Courtney was shooting her threes, Diamond ran up and, again, from a couple steps behind the line, pulled up, knocked down the three, and she won the skills challenge. It was a very dramatic night of the skills challenge with upsets and shockers along the way and i had a great time watching it and courtney only courtney courtney v our favorite player courtney v sounds worse i think salute sounds the worst i think it all sounds like that <laughs> so afterwards was the three-point contest which is heated every year you have ali quigley who won the past two years trying to go for the three-peat you have kayla mcbride who came in second place last year trying to win it all this year the first round was very heated two people move on to the finals and those two were kayla mcbride who made 22 points in the first round followed by shakina strickland who made 21 points in the first round so the two of them advanced then shakina went first and she notched 23 points. Kayla McBride went and scored 22 points. So it came down to like the last two shots. It was incredibly tense. Oops, all threes. <laughs> Three-point contest. Good job, Shakina. It was great. And then we move on to the actual All-Star game itself. What was fun about the WNBA All-Star game is that they did some special rules tweaks. So you'll get this in the NBA with like the G League when they're thinking about trying out a new rule. They'll do it in the G League the year before to see how it goes. So most recently the NBA switched the offensive of rebound shot clock reset from the full 24 down to 14 like it is now. They tested that in the G League the year before. It worked out well. Now they're doing it. So maybe the WNBA is getting in on the mix too because for the All-Star game, the 24-second shot clock was reduced to 20 seconds, keeping the 14-second offensive rebound shot clock. And once per quarter, players could do a live player sub like hockey Yo! where you don't have to wait for a dead ball or a timeout or something where play stops. I love that. It was really cool. You had to stand in a designated area and be tagged by the officials as someone that's going to do a live player sub. And then once per quarter, per team, you could just swap out with someone and just go right away, which I think is really cool. I do like that. That does require still like official oversight where and it's like not as live as hockey is because like hockey is just like oh go. there are zero people on the go there's no one here let's just go so that's mm-hmm. pretty cool though i do like that a lot it was super sweet i would love to see the nba do this if there are dead balls and timeouts you'll swap out like oh take out steph curry because he's not the best at defense and put sean livingston in just for the defensive possession but then the next time when it's offense we need steph back in the mix it would be fun to do those and not have to wait for dead balls for those to happen but then it becomes like strategic like in football, like you're intentionally trying to ice the other person mm-hmm. as they run the thing in, but then it's the using your timeout, so that's not a bad thing. Right. I do like the once per quarter thing because it just raises the intensity of, oh, when are they going to do it? When are they going to use it? And stuff like that. I think this would be super fun. I'm waiting for them to put in the she's on fire slash she's on fire rules mm-hmm. uh, where you score two points and, and then you score the third points and then you're literally on fire and it's hard for you to be guarded because you're literally on fire and your defender can't get close to you. And you have unlimited turbo. So the all- your shoes are extremely <laughs> colored as you run down the court. It was just such a fun all-star game. You had players like Liz Cambage, who is a six foot nine center, trying to bring the ball up a lot and shooting a bunch of threes. In a post-game interview, a reporter asked her, like, you were nailing threes in the beginning, bring the ball up. What's going on? And she's Australian. I will not do an attempt at an Australian accent again. We've been Oh no, go ahead. Of- <laughs> go ahead. Okay, fine. I'm a point guard, you know? <laughs> I'm just out here trying to bring the ball up and shoot threes. I'm a I point guard. I, I just want to shoot threes. She did end up by saying, just because I'm big doesn't mean I can't be a guard. That's... 
I have that cross-stitched. <laughs> I have it on and put it on my wall. I love that. Another great element was that Sue Bird, even though she's out with an injury, was Sue sitting courtside. She was sitting courtside with longtime girlfriend Megan Rapino. They were being fantastic. They were doing the t-shirt toss and stuff throughout the nice. game. And they were interviewed. And did you know that Sue Bird and Diana Taurasi just created a new tour for the women's Olympic basketball team that's going to happen during the WNBA offseason? I did not know that. So what they're going to do is play at different colleges across the U.S. during the WNBA offseason to get hype before the Olympics start. And also just, this sounds weird to say, but like raise awareness about women's basketball, (laughs) (laughs) which is awful, but it's cool. They'll be able to make some money along the way. And just imagine you go to UConn and you're on the women's basketball team. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, next week we're playing the women's Olympic team. Uh, Like that's awesome. And then Diana Taurasi stabs you while you're on the court. (laughs) With words and a knife. (laughs) You're actually only playing against the two of them, but they're allowed to have whatever they want on them. They were not frisked before they go on the court. (laughs) This is the first time since 1995 slash 1996 that any Olympic team has done a tour. The men's team did this. No one's done it since. And now the women's team gets to do it. And I think it's really cool. And I'm so proud of Sue and Diana for coming up with this idea. I think it's amazing. I think they should also emulate the way that the the men's NBA teams. The men NBA. The men NBA. (laughs) <laughs> the men basketball players for the Olympics used to participate. They should just play uh, Boo-Ray until three in the morning and lose lots of money. You know, that's very much in play. <laughs> Listen, if Asia Wilson isn't Charles Barkley by the end of the tour, they're like, what are we even doing? What are we even doing out here? The final thing about the WNBA All-Star Game that was very great was Erica Wheeler. So Erica Wheeler was on Team Wilson. She went to Rutgers and was undrafted, and she won the WNBA All-Star Game MVP. She's the first undrafted player to do so, and her stat line was fantastic. She had 25 points. She made seven three-pointers. Seven three-pointers shooting 54% from three. She also had seven assists, four rebounds, and a steal. So she just came on and just freaking dominated. I liked her Twitter post where it was her, like, walk. I don't know if there was, like, a a press row either before or after, but she was wearing a shirt of herself on it Mm. saying she was, like, undrafted. Very good. There should be more shirts of yourself on them. I would would buy a shirt that had me doing something on it. Right, but you need someone else to make it for you without you asking for it. That is the key element. I think if you're going to make it yourself, it needs to be like three levels of Inception. So it's like you wearing a shirt of you wearing a shirt that someone else gave you of you doing a thing. Woof. I think it could happen. And it would do great at the box office if Leonardo DiCaprio wore it. Well, I need to take uh, 10 minutes and go on Vistaprint. Brandon, (laughs) cut this here. And that was Full Court Press. (laughs) So, Eric, for our That Actually Happened, we have another fun guest segment where we're going to talk to a Sixers superfan, Hal Lublin. But before we get to that interview, we got to do a little three-on-three draft. One, two, three. Three, two, one. Three-on-three. So for this three-on-three draft, we're not just going to talk about players that are good. We're not just going to talk about players that are fun. We're going to talk about the players that have the most dedicated, rabid fan base followings. And that is this three and through draft. And I'm very excited about it's it. It's true. We are calling them folk heroes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the parameters are that they could have never won any sort of award if they weren't like a starter for the whole year that gives them extra points. This is usually someone that you put in at the end of the game. They call this a victory cigar that people just like to cheer and they love to make memes of them. So as we always do, we do rock, paper, scissors. I want everyone to know that I've won all of the rock, paper, scissors we've done so far rock paper scissors shoot plow another win for eric Mm -hmm. mike do you have anything to say about that first is the worst second is the best 
Oh, that's in, that's interesting you say that. Mm-hmm. Because I guess you, you have to cope somewhere. All right. Well, my pick, you know, I got to go with my heart. Uh, I'm going to have to go with someone who embodies the folk hero in all ways and all capacities. That is Brian Scalabrini. Good. I'm glad you won because then I didn't have to steal him from you. <laughs> A.K.A. the White Mamba. I think you, you need to understand what he looks like to know how he embodies this folklore. Brian Scalabrini, he's like six foot seven, big stocky white dude, just so pale, so red haired. You would not expect this guy to be good at sports. You would not expect this guy to be good at talking. It's like all he did was like stand in a room for like 28 years and then he came out on the basketball court, but he is the eternal folklore figure. This is his bio from the big three. He's now a captain of the ball hogs. Brian Scalabrini is one of modern basketball's most popular stars. After a standout career at USC, he began a fan favorite with clutch shooting and on-court intensity. His NBA career featured stops with the New Jersey Nets, the Chicago Bulls, and the Boston Celtics. I've seen him play in person. I've seen him. uh, He's now an analyst for NBC Boston. And, like, he's extremely intense. Like, he's the kind of guy that no matter what is happening, he's just always in your face. He's nicknamed the White Mamba because he thinks that he's, like, Kobe's counterpart. Like, Kobe's the Black Mamba, so he's the White Mamba. Mm. ESPN Chicago interviewed Brian Scalabrini, and they asked him what would happen if one of the starters went down and he had to play the whole game. Here's what he said. I'm going to play 40 minutes. I've got to be ready to play 40 minutes. This happened to me in the past. I played big minutes and I had to keep playing and playing and playing. And you got to be ready for that. You can't just, because you're not playing, not work. I work every day like I'm going to be playing basketball for 44 minutes a night. Now, he's so intense that Brian Scalabrini doesn't know how many minutes are in an NBA basketball game. <laughs> just got to play the game, baby. No, regardless. Like, I'm going to be there for 44, 40 minutes, whatever. NBA games, 48 minutes. No one tells Brian Scalabrini. <laughs> He's not going to play every minute. Come on. <laughs> but like if one of the starters went down, you'd have to play 40 to 44 minutes. Yeah, but he knows that it would probably take about four minutes for a starter to I go I think down. he got so intense, like the math just got garbled in his head. Uh, Bryce Calabrini is also like the patron saint of our NBA and like NBA memes. Like White Mamba, right. he's like the man, the myth, the legend, Brian Scalabrini. So if you know him and you see him, you're aware of NBA internet. That might be where the nickname came from. He might not have come up with himself. It could be someone on Reddit just joking. Because he just, as you mentioned, doesn't look like he should be good, but he's good enough to play in the NBA, which is better than most human beings. Oh, yeah. After Brian Scalabrini retired, a lot of people were giving him shit, thought they could beat him one-on-one. So he invited everyone to just play him one-on-one in this tournament that he called Scalengers. So so there's an entire video of him just playing these guys one-on-one and just dunking on them over and over and over, shooting a three and then dunking and dunking and blocking them. It's like, if you're a scrub who just like lives in Boston and want to go at Brian Scalabrini, like you're gonna lose. Even if you don't think he's good at basketball, which he is. Dude can shoot, dude can dribble he's got post moves he's six foot nine he's very large someone who's six foot nine and knows nothing about basketball could probably beat a fair share of these chumps Uh, we're gonna talk about that later (laughs) i have another someone who's definitely part of that he's also just a nice funny dude and there's like been times where people have been shitty to him and he responds really well so he was on the celtics for their title runs yeah he was and they interviewed him because he didn't play any minutes in their finals run and some reporter asked him like oh even though you didn't like play a lot in this do you think like being an nba champion is valid even though you didn't play and he was like look in 10 years from now i'm gonna tell my kids that i was an important player off the bench in 20 years from now i'm gonna say that i was a starter 40 <laughs> years from now i'm gonna say i was the finals mvp like it's a really funny answer to that 
that. Yeah, like Paul Pierce, he was just like, oh man, I really pooped myself. I don't know if I'm going to go out there. And then Brian Scalabrini was like, oh man, I'm going to go take care of this for you. It's just the best response to when he could have just said, fuck you, let me have this. <laughs> it was perfect. But yeah, Brian Scalabrini, the god of, fo- of folklore heroes. So for my first pick, it's someone that is near and dear to my heart. And there's someone on Twitter who messages me very regularly about this particular player. And I'm very excited to bring forth the knowledge of this man to the podcast. And that's Mike Scott. Yeah, there he is. Mike Scott has a rabid fan base of Sixers fans called (laughs) the Mike Scott Hive. I reached out to the Sixer subreddit to ask how that name started. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, you did research. I did research, baby. There's no confirmation of when it was exactly first coined, but it's a play on the Beyonce Beehive thing. And it really came to be cemented as the official name of his fan group when Matthew Del Rio got a Mike Scott Hive tattoo. Oh, no. So Matthew Del Rio is a writer for Liberty Ballers, which is an SB Nation Sixers blog. So he's not an official sports writer. And he's not getting paid. In any sort of way. I don't know if SB Nation does. I don't he think He probably that. isn't. Think uh, but anyway, he was someone that had 550 Twitter followers. And after Mike Scott was doing some really awesome stuff in a game, he tweeted, If I get a thousand followers by tomorrow, I'll tattoo Mike Scott on my neck. <laughs> Which is the only place you should tattoo Mike Scott. Pretty much. The problem is that Spike Eskin, who hosts the Rights to Richie Sanchez podcast, which is a popular podcast, saw this. He replied to this tweet saying, don't dare me here. <laughs> and Matthew said, I dare you. And then Spike quote tweeted it saying, this man says if he gets a thousand followers tonight, he will get a Mike Scott tattoo. I am happy to hold him to it. He's at 644. Make him regret this. Within an hour, he had over a thousand followers. <laughs> there it is. The internet is a terrible and wonderful place. So he got Mike Scott Hive tattooed on his body, not on his neck like he promised he got on his rib. Here's what the tattoo looks like. <laughs> We will post a picture of it on the website, but you'll notice that the O has a little bandana because Mike Scott doesn't wear a headband. He wears one of those bandanas, which is very good. Like he said, the Warriors, not the Golden State Warriors, the New York gang of the 80s, the Warriors. Mike Scott came to the Sixers last year in a trade and just immediately Philly loved him just because he's one of those players that dives for loose balls and runs after everything and hustles really hard, tries really hard, and says very funny quotes in post-game press conferences. First, there was a game in which he dove into the stands to save a ball. He landed amongst a lady who had a a cup of liquor, like hard liquor, in her (laughs) hand. Before getting back onto the court, he grabs the cup, takes a sip of it, turns to her and like makes a nod of thank you, and runs back onto the court. (laughs) That's perfect. That's good. Mikey Scott is the kind of guy who was like, you know what I need right now is hard liquor to power me. Like he's reverse Popeye. (laughs) Then there was a point where there was a beef, an on-court argument between Eric Bledsoe and Joel Embiid. And Mike Scott stepped in to try to break it up. And he was talking mad smack to Eric Bledsoe, getting all up in his face. The reporters asked him, you know, what were you doing in that scuffle? Why did you get involved even though it didn't involve you? And he said, quote, I ain't no bitch. (laughs) (laughs) oh shit he also has great quotes where in the post-game press conference there he was talking about a particular play where joel Embiid made a great play dish it out to mike scott in the corner made a corner three mike scott's quote about this was quote joe made a hell of a hustle play found me in the corner cashed out (laughs) and it's just not fair that someone is that athletically gifted and also very witty and quick like that. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just not fair. Mike Scott also has almost every emoji tattooed on his body, Good. which is really cool. Yep. 
And finally, you'll note his name is Mike Scott, which sounds like Michael Scott mm -hmm. from The Office. So Shea Serrano dubbed him the regional manager. That's very good. <laughs> oh, shit. And that's why Mike Scott is perfect. He also does a bunch of charity around Philly, which is great. And they re-signed him this year and Philly fans went absolutely nuts. That's wonderful. So that's my pick, Mike Scott. There you go. All right, well, my second pick. I'm not happy about this, Mike. I'm not. Oh, why? Is it a Nick? No, because I would, I would enjoy that a lot more. I don't personally like this person, okay. but if he embodies anything about the folklore player, you, you got to pick him. Mike, my pick is Matthew Delavadova. Oh, no. I even <laughs> said before, I was like, oh, no, we're going to have to talk about him. We're like, yeah, we do. All uh. right. Matthew Delavadova is just like a scrappy weasel of a man. He's Australian. He's small. He showed up in Cleveland, and he just, like, got in everyone's face. He looked like a chipmunk. He looks like a very buff chipmunk. It's upsetting. It's funny because he already kind of has big cheeks and mouth protruding a little bit, so he looks like a chipmunk, but then he wears a mouth guard, and it amplifies. Yeah, 100%. I want to talk about pre-2015 Matthew Delavadova. This is the kind of guy that Cleveland just fell in love with him. Love the hustle. The team shop sold out of his merchandise, and local rapper Misery Jones of AI produced the song Hustle Like Deli, with the words, I'm trying to stay ready till I die, I'm a hustle like Delhi. Apparently at the time, uh, 24 Della Vidova wasn't aware of the song. Uh, my life is just the same. I'm not going to do the Australian accent. <laughs> uh, my life is just the same. I still do the same things. I, oh, spent, no. a, <laughs> I spent a lot of time at Chipotle. Oh no. <laughs> he said. His big moment was during the Cavaliers NBA Finals run in 2015. Kyrie Irving goes down as he's wont to do. And Delhi. The Delhi Bird himself comes in to guard Steph Curry. Steph Curry then proceeded to miss all eight of his shots throughout the remaining game. Everyone says that, like, Delhi threw down the lockdown defense and got in Steph's head and everything. And, like, maybe, maybe it was good defense. Maybe Steph Curry just wasn't shooting right because it was 2015 and all of the expectations of being a finals contender and his ascension to superstardom against LeBron, all of that. But, like, everyone in Cleveland lost their entire shit. Delhi was like a fucking god. It was LeBron and Delhi and like the river that lights on fire. And like, no, that's the three. He continued. He played fine in 2016, but everyone in the NBA then thought he was good. Mm -hmm. So he was sent to the Bucks in a sign in trade. Like for a lot of play for a lot of players, as if he was gonna be the new cornerstone of the Bucks. No, sir. No. The problem that people fail to realize sometimes is that when LeBron is on your team, <laughs> everyone else can look really good. Remember that time people thought Jarrett Smith was all right at basketball because he was on LeBron's team? Nope, just has a lot of tattoos. Richard Jefferson had a career after when he was like 87 years old. He was very old. That's true. He has a podcast. <laughs> oh, that's, yeah. how old he, that's how old he is. Cool. Good for Richard Jefferson. So eventually after flaming out with the Bucks, they sent him back to Cleveland just for one guy. I was looking up some stuff about this and then I found this New York Post article about Delhi coming back to Cleveland and the like SEO title of it is so bleak uh, it's Matthew Della Vadova is all the Cleveland Cavaliers have left. Woof. <laughs> December 13th, 2018 alright so this is what happens when uh, your fandom goes too far you get Delhi. I'm sorry I wasted your time <laughs> uh, for my second pick in this draft I'm going a little unconventional 
I'm going with Han Shu, center for the New York Liberty of the WNBA. Yes, let's go. I love her. So I have personal experience witnessing the aura of fandom around you because my buddy Sal, who's a producer level patron and a big Las Vegas Aces fan, he came into town for 4th of July and we checked the schedule and the Aces just happened to be playing the Liberty while he was in town. So we thought, we gotta go. Hopped on a train, went up to White Plains, saw a game and it was fun. The Aces absolutely destroyed the Liberty. (laughs) Not even close, but this did help something good happen. Hanshu is a six foot nine tall player. She is tied for the tallest player in the WNBA. She is from China. She was drafted this past year. She was the 14th pick of the second round. She's only 19 years old. Hanju can ball. She's got <laughs> legit handles. She's got legit skill. When I went to the game, I saw a bunch of people wearing Han jerseys, or they say Han on the back because of the China first name, last name flip thing, kind of like how Yao had Yao on the back of his jersey. So I didn't know who Han was. Then I saw her taking layups, and I was like, okay. Like, this girl's pretty good. She's not just, like, token tall person, like, here, go play basketball. She, like, has legitimate skill. So the Liberty were losing by, like, 20 points. So the crowd is just screaming at the coach to put in Hanshu. What's funny about the way that the arena is set up is that you're pretty close to where the coach is. So they are just absolutely yelling. And the coach can definitely hear it. And finally, you see Hanshu get up and walk on over towards the scorer's table, meaning she's checking in. And the place goes nuts. And she starts playing really well. She immediately gets a rebound, passes it off to the point guard, runs down, passes it back, nails a three, places erupting, and then gets another rebound. She had two more buckets, and she defended Liz Cambage, who's very good at basketball, really well. She was not as dominant once Han was defending her, which was fantastic. It was understandable as to why the fans would love her. She seems very nice. She's very tall. She doesn't look like anybody else on either team or the league, so it was Mm -hmm. pretty sweet. But then it was nice to see her get in and then actually play really well, not just some like goofy novelty player. She was a legit baller. It was so nice to see. That's awesome. I've not seen her play, mm-hmm. like, actually in a game or not, but that reminds me that there was this profile of her in Deadspin mm-hmm. that was actually really sweet, and it was talking about the fact that, like, she's having some some trouble acclimating to uh, New York City life and her living in China, and she misses her family and all this stuff, mm-hmm. and adapting to, like, English as well. I'll put the link on the website. All right. Well, for my third pick, I want to choose someone who is also a freaking baller and extremely tall. I'm going with Taco Fall, baby! Yeah. Mike... <laughs> First of all, this guy's just out of college, so be nice. I will be. Be nice. I have nothing mean to say about him, but he's only played in Summer League. <laughs> he's. I'm excited for him, but this is this is the excitement. He's, like, gaining steam right he now. He is, he is. So Taco Fall is seven foot seven. He is the tallest recorded player in NBA history from the uh, measurements they do at the Combine. He's very much like a Boban sort of character. Like, he's very tall. But the thing is that Taco might actually have some skills. He's kind of mobile. He's, like, kind of athletic. He might actually knock down some shots. And he's very tall, and it's very good, and he's on the Celtics, and I'm very happy about him. His name is Taco, which is lovely. And I'm sure that makes sense because he's from Senegal. I'm sure that makes sense in his native language. But I think, like, the relationship between these Boston audience to be able to yell out Taco Tuesday and, like, mean it, like, genuinely and lovingly. He was uh, undrafted. He got picked up by the Celtics to play in Summer League, and it was announced that he got a two-way contract, and he might actually play for the Celtics this year. Everyone went bonkers on Twitter. Everyone is so happy for him. Celtics fans have really uh, assembled around him. And he seems like a really sweet kid. There was an interview with him in the Washington Post, and all of the answers he gave were so blessed. And I loved it so much. 
Uh, first question, uh, how do you feel about your fans dressing up as tacos? And he says, I feel blessed to have that kind of impact on people's lives. <laughs> Considering where I came from, how much my life has changed, being recognized, it means a lot to me. Next question, do you like tacos? He says, I do like tacos. They're not my favorite food, but I do like tacos. Uh, he also loves anime. He loves Dragon Ball Z. Uh, and they asked him if he was dating anyone. And he said, not at the moment. If it happens, it happens. Very <laughs> Just a good. good way to live life. I love Taco. Good for him. Uh, I hope that he gets to play for the Celtics this season. I'm going to update it as the season goes on. Uh, Taco Watch, Taco Tuesdays. I'll tweet about it. Whatever, man. Taco Fall. New, new folklore hero for me. I'm happy for him. I don't super appreciate the Boban comparisons. I get they're both tall, but Boban like can legit shoot. Like Boban shot 40% from three last year. I think that Taco <laughs> can too. I mean, honestly, he's a lot more agile than Boban was. So okay. I think that he might actually be able to work around. He's been working on a jump shot. I know it's just summer league. I'm excited. Let me be excited. Let me, let me just hit you with uh, minimal stats. Player A shoots 75% <laughs> from the free throw line. Player B shoots 36% from the free throw line. Who do you think player B is? I don't know. That would be Taco Fall. <laughs> I knew you were going to set me up like that. The thing is that he actually picked up basketball not that long ago. Mm -hmm. So he's still learning the game. Went to UCF, which is like not a powerhouse school. So, I mean, the fact that he got a scholarship and got to do this, he's still learning. He's still pretty young. So he's going to learn how to make those shots. And, you know, I'm, I'm hoping. A folklore hero is not someone who I think is going to carry the team. Right. He's not going to replace Aaron Baines on the starting lineup, you know? <laughs> I wanted to give him a shot, and he's going to be the new person I'm going to look out for this season. Nah, he's a good dude. I hope Taco can pull it around. All right, but... well, let me get all my oppo research for your next guy. Oh, well, that's going to be hard because my next dude is a fucking baller, dog. <laughs> you could say that he's a champion based off of his celebration. My third folk hero is very near and dear to my heart and that's steve novak aka novocaine oh my god if you're gonna fight me on steve novak being a baller you are hard pressed because this dude is great it's not that i'm pressing him it's just like there's this class of nba players who just like white guys that can shoot three points that is a class but he is head of the class <laughs> Steve Novak had a very solid career, a little bit of a journeyman, but he played from 2006 all the way till 2017. So a solid 11-year career. Made stints in Houston, made stints on the Clippers, the Spurs, the Mavericks, the Knicks, the Raptors, the Bucks, and the Thunder, and the Jazz. So he made his way around as white guys that can shoot do, but I am almost certain that he was beloved everywhere. That was like Howard Dean. You're like, and hey, we're going to go to the Jazz, and the Thunder, and Michigan. Ja, Steve Novak. Steve Novak came into my life in 2011 when he joined the Knicks. He was on the Knicks for two years, but when he was on the Knicks for those two years, he was an absolute force. That first season, 2011-2012, which was the Jeremy Lin Lin Sanity season, he shot 47% from three. 47%. He also shot 85% from the free throw line. Didn't do much except for stand in the corner and make threes, but oh baby. He made them with such accuracy, and after every made three, he has a signature celebration where he does the championship belt, the one that Aaron Rodgers has popularized, but he did it before Aaron Rodgers started doing it. So anytime people call it the discount double check, it's like, fuck you. That's the Steve Novak championship belt celebration. How dare you? He is a journeyman, and he just wanted one, so he only had an imaginary championship belt. There is a very fun highlight reel of him on YouTube. And most players, when it's highlight reels, it's dunks and ridiculous shots and block shots and all this fun stuff. There's a Steve Novak highlight reel where it's just three-pointers, baby. Yes. So can he count as a folk hero if he's been on so many different teams? He's a hired gun in so many words. 
I think but it's just he's been loved everywhere. I know that my buddies who were Rockets fans all loved him. Yes, he's a journeyman, but he was beloved everywhere he goes because he's just like a super nice dude, very likable. And he just comes in. He's like, yo, I came here to chew bubble gum and shoot threes. And I'm all out of bubble gum. And he <laughs> and just I got this imaginary them. championship belt. Yeah, it's such a great celebration. His most minutes and most significant role was in those two years at the Knicks. That was the best two-year run the Knicks have had since 1999. So for us... It was such a breath of fresh air, and it was really important that second year because Jeremy Lin was with us for 2011-2012, and then he left because of that ridiculous contract that the Rockets gave him. So we didn't have like that kind of person to love, and Steve Novak stepped it up in that final year. So he was very important, though his time with the Knicks was very short, and I will always have a special place near and dear in my heart for Steve Novak. Mm. I feel like you and I had different interpretations of this draft, because if my team and your team played through on three, yours would win by five miles. <laughs> <laughs> These people are good and then also happen to be good at basketball. You just, you pick some goofballs. Yeah, that was, <laughs> I thought that was the assignment. It's an apples to oranges thing. Like, you can be a folk hero and be very good. You can be a folk hero and just be very tall. Or you can be very tall and good, like Han Shu. And, like, Taco Fall is going to be in, like, three years. We'll have to see. He's going to be great. Uh, there you go. Good draft, Mike. Good draft indeed. So, Eric, a couple episodes ago, we talked to Melissa Anelli, a newfound Philadelphia 76ers fan. And it was fun to talk to her to get her story of how she is new to basketball. She still believes in NBA Santa. On the flip side, we wanted someone who doesn't even believe in the NBA Easter Bunny. Someone that's been a <laughs> long, hard, tried and true NBA fan of the Sixers specifically. So we have brought on Hal Lubin of many podcasts. Hal, how's it going? Uh, first of all, NBA Christmas is canceled. <laughs> uh, that's a very Philly thing for you to say. Yes, uh, it is Lublin. Just Lublin, for, just sorry. For the sake. No, that's okay. Keep it in there. Oh, man. I want I'm people dumb. to know my name is, for some reason, it is very commonly, you went with the second most popular after the actual. Even though that's like, a big old typo. Lubin, that has become like a nickname. I'm going to blame whoever told me your last name was that. And that's then fair. I'm going to second blame my eyes for not seeing the L after <laughs> the B in your name. <laughs> for the rest of this year of Horace, Mike needs to say Luka Doncic's name in the traditional Slovenian. Luka Doncic. <laughs> I will do that the best. But Hal Lublin, yes. could you please give us a little bit of history of how you became a Sixers fan, how early it started, and your ride to now loving Ben Simmons and hoping he develops a jump shot? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. So I was born and raised in Philadelphia, so I am a fan of all Philadelphia sports. And when I was very, very young, that was sort of the heyday of the Sixers when they won their championship uh, in four games over the Lakers. That was Dr. J, Moses Malone, Maurice Cheeks. And then as I was getting to an age where I would play basketball a little bit, I had Charles Barkley, the bump and thump mm -hmm. teams of the late 80s and early 90s. Then they were terrible for a very long time. <laughs> And Fair. it was a lot harder to be a basketball fan. But when I went away to college in like the mid 90s, connecting to Philadelphia sports was a way for me to have a piece of home with me wherever I went. I remember in college, I went to Syracuse and my freshman year, we played Georgetown and I saw Allen Iverson completely dominate our team yes. and lose Whoa. and lose. And then I remember thinking, this guy is an incredible basketball player. And then we drafted him and that was another sort of silver or golden age of basketball. And uh, that was around the time when my parents were getting into basketball as well, just attending games. So they had season tickets. So I got to go to a lot of games. If you ever watch the video of Allen Iverson crossing over Michael Jordan, my parents are in the background. You can see them. Oh. <laughs> and, and because it's like faded 
1996-97 video, it looks like they are completely not clocking anything that's going on to the point where I had to ask my father recently, did you have any reaction when that happened? Because that seems like a pretty big moment in NBA <laughs> history. He was like, yeah, we liked it. <laughs> it's fine. So a few notes about what you said. One, mm-hmm. I've never heard the late 80s teams called the bump and thumb teams. Yes. And I'm so mad that that is not more prevalent. That's incredible. <laughs> That's going to be my quiz bowl names from now on. It's <laughs> very good. Two, I must say that you taking a breath after saying my parents were getting. Oh my God, I felt the same just way. Just terrified me because I was expecting a divorce after that. <laughs> so interesting choice of breath there. Um, and third, just an Allen Iverson note. I don't know if this was uh, too late in the game for you, but I had AI shoes as a kid and on the inside of the sole it was just a picture of Allen Iverson's face Mm -hmm. and I thought they were really cool the insole was just his face I don't like that (laughs) at all you don't want to put your foot on Allen Iverson's face I did I had people in my gym class in middle school ask why is there a man inside of your shoes and I said it's Allen Iverson he's very good at basketball (laughs) I was looking at the inside of your shoes it was when we were doing something in gym class where you had to like maybe like trampolines or something where you had to take your like shoes off so yeah. then we like lined them up in a row and someone's like, Mike, why is there a man inside your shoe? <laughs> and then all the bullies are like, oh man, Mike Schubert loves men in his shoes. <laughs> <laughs> now, you mentioned the point in time where they were really bad and that's the infamous process era where the Sixers were bad on purpose for five years to try and game the lottery system to get the best team possible. What was it like being a fan of the team when they were actively trying to lose as many games as possible? So it's interesting. There were periods of time before that around the end of Charles Barkley's time with the team where they were just bad. They just felt directionless and they drafted really bad players like Clarence Weatherspoon, who was fine, was supposed to be Barkley's replacement. It's Sean Bradley, who was a seven foot six Mormon that could not do anything. But he was in Space Jam. He was was in Space (laughs) Jam. Yeah, that's true. He's he's more notable for his film career than what he did in basketball. (laughs) Listen, at this point, we need to talk about who's going to be more wooden, Sean Bradley or Anthony Davis in Space Jam 2. I think Anthony Davis. I do too. But he loves Taco Tuesday. No, LeBron makes him love Taco Tuesday. (laughs) (laughs) Now that he's on LeBron's team, LeBron's like, you like tacos now. Come on. Hold my hand. We're walking over to the taco table. They're my favorite food, LeBron. I'm going to do so well under the scrutiny of L.A. News. I love that so much. Thank you. I was made for this pressure. Thank you. Uh, the, The process, though, felt different. Is It felt like there was a plan in place. So... I think that the city as a whole, as a fan base, we kind of rallied around it just because for once it felt like the team had a direction to say, listen, we know we're going to be bad for a while. This period of time is about getting draft picks. It's about keeping our our, uh, team payroll as low as possible to set ourselves up for the future. So we hope by the end of this that we'll have some generational talent on our team that Instead of just trying to make the playoffs, which is where we had been, like we would eke into the playoffs and try and add one more player so we would still be there rather than like strive for mediocrity. Let's reset and go for it all and make a team that can compete for championships for a long period of time. Uh, I'm looking at my notes here and it says that Philadelphia does not have agreeable people in it. Um, <laughs> also true. <laughs> it's just, our researcher pulled pull that one for me. Um <laughs> Did people really believe it was going to work? I think that, like, I can't wrap my mind around this guy coming in and be like, hey, we're going to be super bad, but don't worry, we won't eventually. I think there was a lot of support for it. You have to understand that our city does not win many championships at all. So we're kind of used to losing. 
and that sucks. But <laughs> when when you tell us, hey, there's a plan here in place. There's a reason why we're losing. It's not that we don't know what we're doing. It's that we want to be set up for the future. That makes sense. And I, of course, there were people who thought it was ridiculous, just like there were people around the country who are not Sixers fans who either resented it or didn't understand it or just felt like it was a dumb plan. But I think the majority of fans, even if they weren't showing up to watch the team lose because they don't want to spend, you know, when you're in a, like a working class city, you don't want to spend your hard earned money watching your favorite team lose kind of on purpose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All these moves that are being made felt like, oh, well, they're doing the right thing. And it's impossible that every year our first round draft pick will get mysteriously injured and be gone for their rookie season. <laughs> how, how could that you possibly happen? You had a happen? good run of that. That was super fun. Yeah. So speaking of the people that you ended up drafting, drafting, the whole point of the process was to get these top picks, these star players. Mm -hmm. And now on the team, you have some of those people, uh, such as Joel Embiid and now Ben Simmons. When we talked with Melissa, we talked a lot about Mr. Embiid. So let's talk about Ben Simmons, your very large Australian boy that only takes <laughs> shots very close to the rim. But that's OK, because he's really good at getting to the rim. Yes. How do you feel about him, his development? You just gave him a very large contract extension, but now he's working on his jump shot. Where do you stand on Ben Simmons? I think he's a generational talent. And I think we spend so much time talking about the things that he doesn't do uh, or can't do at this point, which is jump shots and free throws, which are both very important. I'm not saying they're not important. <laughs> but <laughs> Scoring in basketball, good to do. <laughs> but you also look at the fact that he can score 31 points without ever taking a jump shot in a game. He is a great passer. He's a great ball handler. He's turning into an elite defender. And he does work on his game. Coming back uh, for this past season, from the season before, he was better. The things he refined were kind of weird for a point guard, like working in the post, working close to the basket. But that work was there. And now he seems to be working on a jump shot. And I don't think he's going to come in and be the greatest shooter in league history. I think the key with him is him having the confidence to take shots and not feel like missing them makes him look bad as a player. The, the confidence angle is interesting because it's really easy for figureheads, talking heads, the media to like rag on a guy, Twitter reply, social media, everything, just make fun of a dude if he's bad at something. And really, you want to put Ben Simmons in a situation where you just tell him, hey man, just shoot a lot. And if you shoot 20%, don't worry about it. The rest of our team is so good and the regular season is so long that if you shoot 30% for the season, that's okay. Just please try it. I mean, he's a kid and the conventional wisdom with a guy like that who doesn't take jump shots is surrounded with a bunch of people who take outside shots so that they they have to keep their defenders honest and Ben Simmons has only ever really defended one-on-one. -on -one. But I think when you do that, while it's effective, it also kind of stunts the growth of your player. Mike, don't worry. Uh, ben Simmons is 23. You can make fun of him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> cool, 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 cool. No, I... <laughs> well, it's, well, let's go in and let's make, let's make fun of him. Like, it's fine. So <laughs> yeah. I think that he might have invited some of this stuff by dating a Kardashian. Mm, sure, like, the curse. You like who you like. We all make mistakes when we date people in our early, early 20s, but, like, come on. It's like, don't date someone from a rival gang. Don't date someone from the Capulets. Like, don't date a Kardashian if you don't want that drama in your life. Like, I don't know what to tell you. It's still a choice. The funny thing is she's dating Kyle Kuzma now, who looks like a guy who finished third in a Ben Simmons lookalike contest. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. So speaking of Eric saying making a choice, my, my very favorite debate around Ben Simmons is whether or not he's shooting with the correct hand. Because... Yes. 
Ben Simmons, I believe, is right-handed, quote-unquote, in that he usually shoots layups and prefers dribbling with his right hand, but when he shoots jump shots, the thing that is harder, he uses his left hand. And this has been a whole big debate. Kevin O'Connor of The Ringer loves to talk about this in any instance he can. Yeah. How do you feel about this debate? Because it feels interesting, but silly, but also serious and frustrating. How's it from a Sixers fan perspective? I, I, it's div- You know, I'm a member of a couple Sixers fan groups on Facebook, one of which I had to <laughs> oh, leave. Oh, no. Amazing. It, why, why did you do that to yourself? I, I ask myself that every single day. I don't know why I do that to myself. <laughs> it's super toxic. But half of them are he's shooting with the wrong hand. Half of them are he's fine. He's building his jump shot right now, and and he's refining it. I don't know. I like. How do you know he's shooting with his wrong hand? Like how how can you say that for sure? I've seen him finish with both hands. I know he does sort of favor his right inside the basket, but I think he's naturally a left-handed guy, and maybe that's why. But it also seems like a coach would have told him at this point of all the people that he's worked with, including family, who I don't think would necessarily be like, "It's fine, Ben. Ben, he wants to shoot with his left. You shoot with your left." <laughs> I feel like this is only going to invite one of those scenes in like a sports movie or like the third act of a thriller where like the camera like spins around the person and they're starting to like, oh, God, I knew it the whole time. <laughs> and then he's just going to look at his left hand and then just like start tossing up Steph Curry length three pointers. <laughs> yeah, the power was within him all along. Mm-hmm. He never his, knew. his right hand was the friends we made along the way. Yeah. <laughs> it was written on his forearm, you're left-handed. And he's like, whoa, I'm memento. <laughs> so beyond Ben Simmons currently, the Sixers had an interesting offseason in that you did not re-sign Jimmy Butler, who I'm a big fan of, even though he might be a big grumpy boy. Mm-hmm. You only like him for the memes. I like him because he's funny and good at basketball at the same time. You like his YouTube career. <laughs> no, his YouTube career is bad because he has Kevin Hart in his videos, and I don't like Kevin Hart at all. But <laughs> you didn't... I feel like you get to a certain level of celebrity and you have to work with Kevin Hart. Yeah, <sighs> especially if you're involved know. with Philadelphia. He lives with you oh, for a month. right. So you did not get Jimmy Butler, <laughs> but you did get Al Horford, who... I'm so mad. He he was like the foil to Joel Embiid, and now you have him on your team. But then yeah. the other interesting angle is that your best player, or at least potentially most important player, Joel Embiid, is a center, and so is Al Horford. How does that work? Al Horford's a four. Yeah. He's a stretch four. Eh, he's a stretch absolutely. Five. How, eh, are they going to play at the same time? Like, what, what do you think is going to go down there, and is this a, a situation we need to worry about, in that they play almost the same position. I don't think so, because even if they played the same position, which I agree with Eric, that he is more of a stretch four who's been, who who can play five. He can play sort of either okay. position. I give up honest prayers for any team that tries to score on the paint when both of them are on the floor <laughs> at the same time. But I, I think what's going to happen is that they'll play some time together and then they'll start spelling one another. So they each give the other breaks from being on court. You have Mike Scott coming off the bench, who is maybe the most beloved 76er right now next to Joel Embiid. The Mike Scott Beehive fan. Yes. Amazing. The, the hive is real. The hive is alive. <laughs> the issues are how are they going to score as a team more than <laughs> how are they going to play defense? And then Jimmy Butler, who I, I loved in his time here. But if somebody doesn't want to play, you know, if they want to play somewhere else, then you don't want them on your team. Certainly not for $190 million. So right. turning him into Josh Richardson, who's a younger guy that could develop into a Jimmy Butler type player. You know, he's a two-way player who can 
score on three levels. It makes things interesting. At least they got something for Butler. That was fortunate. Josh Richardson is very good. Now, what's very fun about getting Josh Richardson is that if you have your your final five dudes of Josh Richardson, Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris, Al Horford, and Joel Embiid on the court, mm-hmm. your shortest person will be six foot six. Yes, and everyone else is between six foot nine and seven feet tall. Now, Mike, I'm not a I'm not a basketball <laughs> expert, but is six foot six tall? It's very tall. <laughs> Is it because Elton Brand, who used to be a tall player, he's now a very tall executive? Yes. Was he just like, give me all the tall people, please? Yes. If he feels if he collects every tall person, that <laughs> he will be rejuvenated and get to play for another 15 years. When he's in his milk bath. Yeah. He just needs to sacrifice Tobias Harris. Yeah. And it'll get all of his powers back. He stays in that hotel uh, from John Wick, and every time he gets a big man, he gets another gold coin. So he's just trying to fill a case with them. <laughs> Then the, the prophecy will come true, and he can take his rightful place as a guy who played for more seasons than he could because of his knees. <laughs> I appreciate that the, the process has now gone into Elton Brand playing like NBA 2K, when you can just like kind of grab as many people as yeah. possible and be like, all right, I want Shaquille O'Neal, I want Sean Bradley, I want Alonzo Mourning, I just want as many tall people as possible. Give me Manute Bowl. <laughs> I want Manute Bowl. Dikembe Mutombo with the three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's so versatile. He can really shoot from seven feet out. <laughs> Sometimes. Sometimes so, he can. So- He's working on that jump shot, yeah. though. Speaking of Mike Scott and having some cult hero fan favorites, being a Sixers fan for so long, are there any particular players from your time that were incredibly beloved, even if they weren't the best players on the team, like a Dr. J or a Charles Barkley, that you just have a soft spot in your heart for? Oh, man. This is a really, really good question. I'm trying to think of guys. I didn't really like Jerry Stackhouse that much. I thought he was okay. Like, there are all these guys who sort of came through. I like effort guys. TJ McConnell. Oh, I was hoping you would say TJ McConnell. Yeah. I mean, he's sort of the poster boy. The the process had a core four, which was Covington, McConnell, Embiid, and and Sharich that were there sort of from the beginning. The disrespect to Jakar Sampson is ridiculous right now. (laughs) Sorry, Jakar. Sorry, Arnett (laughs) Moultrie. Hollis Thompson would like a word. Yeah. (laughs) I know that they're all very, very mad with me. I'm... Happy to speak with all of them. Um, oh, sorry. We have to stop with the recording. Jabril Okafor is knocking on the door. <laughs> is that Jalil's brother? Yeah, Jabril. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we had him too. Everybody everybody in his family played, including his grandmother, who was. Uh, There's Jahil, yeah. Jabril, Jaquil. They're all playing on the 76 Uh But TJ was like, he personified the city in that he was sort of underdog, gritty. He defended all 94 feet of the court all the time. Also, like a great teammate, he didn't play really in these last playoffs a lot. He was out of the rotation, and he was there like cheering as hard as possible and encouraging everybody, just the consummate teammate and like a from here guy. It's sad to see him go, but at the same time, I I don't know that there was room for him on this team. He's not really a shooter, but ultimately... He's not playable in the playoffs because of his defense. He can he can be beaten on on defense pretty easily, unfortunately. The true problem with TJ McConnell is that he's six foot two, which is clearly not <laughs> tall enough to be on the Philadelphia 76. <laughs> well, he tried to sneak in with another guy on his shoulders to a shoot around, but they figured it out. The trench coat fell off. <laughs> it's like Elton Brand came down like he was Coach Carter, and it was like, listen, if you walk in, if you walk in to a building and you don't have to stoop uncomfortably, you should not be on this team. <laughs> That's it. That's the footage. Speaking tall only. (laughs) Yeah, if you don't shop at Casual Mail XL, you're not on the team. 
I can't think of a better way to wrap up this little interview. So, Hal, thank you so much for coming on, talking to us about the Sixers. As someone whose team is not even going to be close to contention, I wish you nothing but the best this year. And as someone who misses Al Horford dearly, tell him I miss him. (laughs) (laughs) He sends his love. And thanks for having me on. If you're down, I would love to come back at some point in the season, do a check-in. Yes, we will definitely take you up on that. Uh, in the meantime, if people want to find you, where where can they do that? They can find me at Hal Lublin uh, on Twitter and Instagram. You can listen to my podcasts, which are, we got this with Mark and Hal, Tights and Fights, Good Morning Night Vale, uh, and Thrilling Adventure Hour is back twice a month. Check it out. Hot damn. Man, are you like Travis McElroy? You have so many podcasts. No, this is Hal Lublin. Uh, I ha- no, this is Hal Lublin. <laughs> L- no, Lubin. I didn't say the second L. <laughs> this is Hal Lubin. I actually have Hal Lubin on Twitter as well. So if you go there by mistake, you will get my profile. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> That's very good. <laughs> That's what we're going to do if we eventually somehow get Twitter to unban horse hoops. Uh, we'll just have it say, oh, you want the one with the underscore. There you so. go. <laughs> Hal, thanks so much for joining, and and we're excited for a future check in where you're either incredibly happy or very grumpy at all your tall boys. I might just be yelling at you the entire time. We'll see what happens. Fantastic! I can't wait. Thanks for listening to this episode of Horse. Horse is hosted by Mike Schubert and Eric Silver. It is edited and mixed by Eric Silver. The social media is run by Mike Schubert. The art is by Allison Wakeman. The music is by Bettina Campamanis. And the website is by Kelly Beckman. Special thanks to our producer-level patrons, Brand Wingate, Berger, Skylar Jorgensen, Gladiator Vader, Adam Harbick, Ross Papa, Akano, Cody Powell, Salvador Testa, Trust the Process, James Harden went to Arizona State, Hufflepuff Hillary, Samantha Rose, Catherine Lee, and Polly Burridge. Mike, do you know where you can find images of people digging tattoos of their favorite players? Inside of Mike Scott's headband. Yes. <laughs> and you can also, you can find it on the internet where you will find our social media accounts. Mm-hmm. You can find us at Horse Hoops on Instagram and Facebook. And you can find us at Horse underscore Hoops on Twitter. Because, as we say every episode, it's because... Horse Hoops tried to play Scott, Brian Scalabrini in basketball and got murdered. <laughs> because we were banned. It's the same thing. Uh, you can also find us on the website, horsehoops.com, which has all of our research and the visual stuff you did not see because this is a podcast, and that is a visual medium. And if you want some bonus content, you can head on over to patreon.com slash horsehoops, where you'll get extra audio of Eric and I talking about basketball stuff, texting where we write about the, the three-on-threes and turn them into five-on-fives, and streams of us playing games against each other. We're going to have to get a NBA Jam game going in. I, I also liked that. the live show where we were on the same team. It was much less heated, so we should do that, too, where we should talk a computer and I not like that. us. I want that very much so. <laughs> well, We'll do that very soon. We'll just record us playing a game. I guess like, fuck the computer. Fuck you, random Derek Harper. Uh, But you can head on over to patreon.com slash horsehoops to check out all that. Mike, do you know what Audio Collective has uh, season tickets to the 76ers next to Hal Lublin's parents? Us. It's (laughs) Walter Dude. That one was really targeted. (laughs) Walter Dude is an audio collective and production company that makes podcasts that people love. And we want to welcome people into that love that is horse that is Potterless, that is Join the Party, that is Spirits, and that is Head, Heart, Gut, the new show for the multi-crew. You can find us on the internet at Multitude Shows on Twitter. You can find us on our website, Multitude.Productions, and you can find the multi-crew at multicrew.club. And as we round out every episode, we're going to put our hands in the middle and say something on the count of three, and I think it's only fair that we say something inspiring, brought to us by Mike Scott himself, and on the count of three, we say, I ain't no bitch. (laughs) One, One, two, two, three. three. I ain't no no bitch. bitch. What a guy. What a guy. This is cash money on the mic. Pass it to me in the corner. Cashed out. Cashed out. (laughs) I'm going to start saying that. Oh, yeah. Recorded the episode, threw it into logic. Cashed out. (laughs) Yeah, I was working with the team. I was trying to figure out a structure. We edited. We threw it together. Put it on iTunes. Got to the top. Cashed out. 
went to the laundromat, put in my dirty laundry, threw quarters in the machine, cashed out. <laughs> went out of Grubhub, ordered all that stuff, got 10% off at a free egg roll, cashed out. Put some quarters in the pinball machine, got a high score so much that I won a free game, cashed out. Went to the bank, signed to the ATM, put a check in, chose cash, cashed out. Put my leftovers in the microwave for a minute 30. It was exactly the right temperature without <laughs> being too hot to burn my mouth, cashed out. <laughs> Was Mike Scott <laughs> play basketball? Okay. <laughs> okay, all right, we've got too much.